0: Welcome to Big Questions. This is Gal Fussman. No theme music this week. Doesn't fit my feelings right now. Still a little numb after learning about Kobe Bryant. I found out when I came home and my son said, Please, Dad, tell me it's not true. Dylan was on his cell phone. TMZ says that Kobe died in a helicopter crash. I had the strangest thought. It was so fleeting, it wasn't even a thought. I flashed to the words my friend Michael Wright screamed on 911 when one of the towers of the World Trade Center was falling on top of his head as he ran for cover. Oh no! Jenny and Ben! Jenny and Ben! He was calling out the name of his wife at the time and his newborn son just as everything came crashing down on him. That's why my first thought was oh no, Vanessa and the kids. Maybe I thought that way because I wanted Kobe to miraculously survive like Michael Wright did. I don't know. Maybe I was simply feeling for Vanessa and their kids. I, I really don't know. I never met Vanessa or the children, but the first time I sat down with Kobe, Vanessa called in the middle of our conversation and he picked up the phone and said, Mamacita! Mamacita! And every time we met, he spoke so lovingly about his daughters. I sat by the television with my son, and the news kept getting worse. Gigi, Kobe's 13-year-old daughter, was also on the helicopter that crashed in Calabasas. Then it wasn't five who perished. It was nine altogether. A lot of texts and calls came in in a flurry. Sorry if I didn't respond. It was almost like I was in a trance. The people on television really didn't have any news and didn't know what to say, and my mind took off. I can remember the day Roberto Clemente died on a flight carrying supplies to help earthquake victims in Nicaragua back on the last day in 1972. Roberto Clemente was a Puerto Rican baseball great who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was my younger brother Chet's favorite player. I can remember Chet sitting on the front stoop of our home, head in his hands, crying. I can remember hearing about John F. Kennedy being shot and then Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King, all of them with so many great things to do in front of them. Those moments were all devastating, but they were distant. There was something different about this. I'd gotten a chance to spend a little time with Kobe. Only now... Do I see how much he taught me? I met Kobe at a transitional time in his life, and it was a transitional time in mine as well. So I might have seen Kobe differently than most. Of course, I knew all about the five NBA championships with Jack Nicholson cheering from courtside, all the buzzer beaters in the 81-point game. But Kobe was moving into storytelling, which is why he phoned me in the first place. One day, out of nowhere... While I was driving my car, my cell phone rang. I saw no caller ID. Figured it might be somebody important, so I picked up. It was Kobe. I'd never met Kobe, and at first I thought my manager was playing a prank on me, but it was Kobe's distinct voice. I would later learn that Kobe would do that. If he was curious about something, he would call a person up out of the blue to get some answers. He told me he wanted to use storytelling to help young people understand the world. He wanted to know about my interview process, and he invited me to Newport Beach to talk about it. As I drove to meet him, I was curious about how we might overlap. He was the ultimate competitor, lived to win. And I just don't see the world that way. There's no competition for me in interviewing. If you beat somebody in an interview, you lose. Winning in an interview, to me, is about making a connection. But as soon as we sat at a table, we were at one. We were at one because we were brothers in curiosity. And I quickly came to understand that storytelling was as important to him going forward as playing basketball had been in the past. He was making plans to educate millions of kids through books and animation. Not long after our first meeting, George Raveling, the coach and ambassador for Nike, predicted that LeBron James would make much more impact on the world by using his reach and his wealth in the years after basketball. So it's clear to me now that Kobe understood the impact he could have on the young over decades. He educated me in ways I didn't expect. In fact, he may have been the first to show me that I could succeed in business, after I left magazine writing to start my own company. I'd explained to Kobe the way I prepared for an interview, researching and spending time writing out hundreds of questions. Then, how I ripped my pad up just before the actual interview started. That way, when I walked into the interview, those ripped up questions were in my head, and I was prepared to improvise. Kobe smiled and said that was one of Phil Jackson's coaching techniques. Phil would write out everything he hoped to teach on a board and then erase it, erase it all before the team arrived at the meeting so that he could teach it all over with mastery. Kobe was convinced that the same fundamentals of excellence applied across all fields of endeavor. In another conversation we had down the road, I questioned how good I'd be at business. My startup called for me to speak in front of crowds, to develop a knowledge of technology, grasp the ability to delegate, sell, negotiate, skills I'd never really used before as a magazine writer who pretty much liked to stay under the radar. I'd never seen my life through the frame of business. I lived to do the stories I wanted to and often didn't care about the time I put in or the money that I earned. And that's not the best way to run a business. When I questioned how good I'd be at it, a withering look came over Kobe's face He didn't say a word, but his expression sure did. Better lift your game, brother. That's just how he saw the world. Someone once asked him if he played golf, and he replied that he didn't do anything he wasn't great at. He went at investing the same way he went at basketball. He went at storytelling the same way he went at basketball. When he put his poem Dear Basketball to animation, he collaborated with Glenn Keane, the man who drew the form of The Little Mermaid, John Williams, the maestro who composed the theme music for Star Wars, Dear Basketball, won an Oscar for Best Animated Short. I can still see that ferocious glare in Kobe's eyes that set my mind on the right track. He was right. All I needed to do was transfer the fundamentals of excellence with me. And that's a great lesson for anyone in a transition. There was another moment between Kobe and I that will always stay with me. At the end of 2017, I was asked to moderate a session with Kobe at Summit LA. At that point, I had not moderated live on stage, and I was a little nervous beforehand. We were waiting to be introduced, and I did a little shadow boxing to get out the jitters. Are you nervous, Kobe asked. I told him a story that Larry King once told me, how Frank Sinatra had said, if you're not a little nervous before you walk on stage, you're not worth a shit. Kobe smiled and said, well, I guess I'm not worth a shit. Come on, let's go. We walked on stage and he was great. And you know what? Just last week, I walked on stage with Michael Phelps to interview the Olympian at Under Armour headquarters in Baltimore. And when I walked on that stage, I felt as relaxed and poised as Kobe. Kobe. There'll always be a little of Kobe in me whenever I step on stage. I only wish I'd realized it before now, because I'll never get a chance to give him a proper thank you. There are fewer and fewer people who can stop the world for a moment. Television turned people into icons, but the internet has separated that audience into many niches. Kobe is one of the few who went across the board and could affect millions of people at the same time. It's beyond sad that he won't continue to be able to pass on his wisdom to the generations to come, but he left a lot to learn from. Kobe was kind enough to help me get big questions off the ground shortly after he retired from the NBA. I'm going to replay that conversation today. This goes way beyond basketball. There's a lot that anybody can learn about excellence over the next hour or so because Kobe was right. The fundamentals of excellence translate wherever you take them. I hope you can grasp a pearl or two from this conversation that will take you to higher ground. Here's Kobe back in the beginning of 2017. Welcome to Big Questions. Yeah. We got Kobe Bryant. What's happening, man? Man, this is an honor (laughs) to be sitting in the office or I see a sign that says do epic shit.
1: Yeah. 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 Do epic shit. That's kind of our motto. Yeah.
0: Well, you know you're going to have or I hope you have a great moment this coming March because your animated short Dear Basketball is on the short list for an Academy Award. Yeah. So here's my question, because I know how much you love to win. Say it's March. You're down to the last five. They announce. And the winner is, you're sitting in that seat, and you don't have the ball in your hands. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do but wait and hear if you have won. Very different scenario. Sure. How are you going to handle that?
1: The same way I'm sitting here right now. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, basketball it's, it's different because you are in control. So I can be directly competitive because you, you're engaged in a direct competition. In the arts, it's completely different. You, know, you, you don't do this to win awards. This is not what we do it for. And we do it to try to create something that comes from within ourselves that is of some form of truth that could be almost therapeutic for us and why we create it. And then hopefully and in turn, it moves someone else who's watching the piece and which is very different than sports In sports. It's about the object of the sport is to compete and to win. And uh, and what I do now in storytelling, that is not the objective. The objective is to create some form of truth, as you see it, and uh, and try to try to move ourselves and in turn move others. So,
0: so was this an adjustment for you, or did you always have this side in you? Because when we're watching you on the court, we're seeing the teeth come down on each other. Yeah, and I, I'm.
1: I'm here. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I've always had a, a bit of both there. Right. And so if you think about the idea of, 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 of building a story and how to structure a story, is no different than putting together a puzzle. Right. And when you're training, when I'm training in the off season, getting ready for a season it's the same thing. I have to put a puzzle together. You know, where are my weaknesses? Where are my strengths? Where are things I need to adjust from a leadership perspective, communication, as well as physical perspective. And Before I I start my off-season regimen, I put those pieces of the puzzle out. And then it's a matter of putting that puzzle together throughout the summer, right? And so from that standpoint, you can't be thinking about the result. You can't think about competition. You have to think about process. And so from that standpoint, uh, that process side of me has always been there. And then what you see when the lights come on and I'm in Staples Center and I'm competing, you see the end result of that. But you can't have that end result without really enjoying the process of
0: putting a puzzle together. And so, how long has that been inside you? Because I, I know that um, one of your favorite books was Curious George. It's a children's yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, a children's yeah. book.
1: Yeah. I always thought it was fascinating. I mean, you know, curiosity. I think is the most important quality to have. You know, with curiosity, you figure things out. You're, you're always um, looking for ways to get better or looking for reasons as to why certain things work, you know, things that are of interest to you. Um, so it was never good enough for me to simply you know, watch a game on television and say, okay, um, you know, I see what's going on. That's fine. That's awesome. It's entertaining. That wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to know why it worked. Right? And that curiosity leads you to knowledge.
0: Do you think that you have the same curiosity that you had when you were a child? I think so, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, really amazing. So. <laughs> char- that's an amazing characteristic. Yeah, Because uh, it's curiosity is one of those things where as you get older, or as a lot of people get older, it starts to... I wouldn't even say it's ero- It erodes. It's almost like our life experiences throw shovels of dirt on it, yeah. and it's like it it can bury you like at a funeral if you're not sweeping the dirt away.
1: Well, you know the the thing is like as as children, you know, a lot of it depends on on how you grow up and the kind of teachers that you have around you at an early age. I think you know if you're the type of kid because you know as kids you're you're just naturally curious because everything is new and um you know if you're surrounded by people that are always telling you no 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 well why is this why is that you're annoying shut up (laughs) (laughs) you know that type of stuff sits in the mind of a child and and they then become apprehensive or become a little timid to be curious because they don't want to um you know upset the temperament of the room and uh, fortunately for me, I was always surrounded by people who encouraged that curiosity and encouraged, you know, the questioning of things.
0: Average four-year-old asks four hundred questions a day to their parents. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> and the thing is, a lot of parents smack their foreheads, but it sounds like your parents went with it. Yeah, I mean, I, you
1: know, what we try to do as parents, you know, with our children. Um, when they were four and even to this day because they still ask a ton of questions is you know a lot of times you have the answers you don't give them the answers you just ask them a question and you get them thinking about it more uh that then leads them to the answer eventually but this way you just get their mind working and thinking constantly and
0: socrates is that what he said well, it's Socratic method. Oh, no, Socratic method. Yeah, that's asking right. Questions.
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, that's what John Williams told me. He he. Uh, that's how he operates his orchestra. Same way, he's just uh, asking questions. because you know, a lot of times you you, know, you may have the answer, but if I ask you a question, you know, uh, uh, most of the time the answer that comes back is better than the answer that I originally had. Right. So it's always better. Uh, to, to, to try to pull it out of an individual um, versus giving it to him, I think.
0: It leads me to a question I was thinking about as I was driving over. What's it like working with John Williams? This guy is like our Beethoven, right. May, bigger than Beethoven. Uh, this, he's done music for more than a hundred films, uh, Jaws, Jurassic Park, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. How is that collaboration process between the two of you? you know, it was it was, a, it was seamless. Um,
1: you know, I think the the wonderful thing about their basketball is that all three of us, um, you know, including Glenn, um, all approached our craft exactly the same way, with infinite curiosity, and with this childlike wonder. Of it, and uh, and so the process was extremely seamless. I mean, we sat down. I mean, I talked to him on the phone about it, and he read the letter and loved the letter. And um, and his question was, well, I, I really need to see the piece to really. He said, I want to do this for you, but I but I I want to know that, yeah, you know, I don't want you know these orchestral pieces that that I do to be too much, for the piece, um, and that was his concern. and when we went to the Glenn Studio and we sat down and we watched it. He said, no, this is—you're absolutely right. This requires it needs uh, an orchestral piece, a composition of that magnitude. It actually would feel different if it didn't have it. And then it was just about the nature of the piece. What does it mean? How does it hit home um, personally? And then once he, once he found that that nugget then it was just like the light went off (laughs) you can see it like he knew exactly what he wanted to do right then and there in the room it's like he knew exactly where he wanted to start he knew you know how he wanted to move through the piece so as we're watching it on the monitor and you see him kind of his fingers kind of moving through the air you know he's hearing something some language that he can only hear
0: <laughs> oh man
1: and, you know and you see you kind of you, you can see these melodies that he's hearing and um, it's, it's just one it was magical it was magical
0: is, is that equate to basketball in any way
1: well yeah I mean it's you know animation and basketball you know like with Glenn if you sat down with Glenn and you watched him air you know animate um, Ariel for example you wouldn't know what he was animating after the first six, seven lines, you, you you wouldn't know what the heck he was doing. It was like he was animating something else, right? But then after the 10th line, 11th line, then it's all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, there it is, right? Because in his mind, he sees the full picture, but you from the outside cannot see that. And it's the same thing with John. It's the same thing for me when I played. You know, I'm thinking not just of what's happening here in front of you and here and now in the first quarter, but how does that... Um, Action that takes place in the first quarter connect to what takes place in the last two minutes of the game
0: Oh, so the same things going on in your head in the game. Yeah, like you're you're John Williams then
1: absolutely and the game is like a piece of music Absolutely. I mean you're you're responsible for an entire body of music that 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 that's um, Comprised of different instruments Right and figuring out how to create a beautiful harmony or melody out of it um and you know, it requires a lot of thinking in the off season of putting that puzzle together to study and to kind of so that then when you're in season these things are felt they're not thought right but you it's a, you, know, you can feel those things
0: when the music came to you was it completely perfect or do you have a moment where you're saying you know John at about Three minutes and fifty <laughs> seconds, we could use a little more French <laughs> horn. Yeah,
1: no. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it, when we scored it, um, he was really excited. I mean, he was like he was like he was jacked up. He was like energized, you know, and and, um, and Glenn and I both realized when we were talking to each other, um, when he was uh, you know, kind of getting ready to, to start, that he had never heard the music. If you think about it, it's an 80-instrument piece. He's written every instrument out himself by hand. And he can hear the music and what it sounds like in his head. But for the first time, he himself is actually going to hear it for the first time. Whoa. Right? I mean, That's incredible. That's incredible. And so he starts to play, and I'm so excited that I, I almost yell. And I catch myself, and I realize the red light's on and we're recording, so I got to keep it cool, you know? <laughs> and 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 uh, and then he finishes the piece, and I'm just completely blown away. And he turns over his left shoulder and looks at me and Glenn sitting on the side. And he looks at us and he goes, I promise you, it will get better. And I was like, "Uh, I kind of <laughs> thought we were done. I, I, mean, I, I don't know what you heard, but... And, you know, and I turned over at Glenn, turned over my shoulder look at Glenn, and and Glenn, in five and a half minutes, had sketched the entire room. So he had sketched all 80 instruments, John conducting, and me looking um, at John conduct. He had sketched that. So I'm like, wait, did you hear? Wait, what are you doing? I mean, you got to be kidding me. What the heck is going on in here?
0: <laughs> you know, it's like somebody watching you play basketball. <laughs> how do you do that?
1: Uh, uh, I, I, hopefully, that's the feeling I evoked, man. But like, in, for me, being in this project and working with two people who I've admired from afar for so long, to actually be immersed in a project with them, to see how they operate, is something entirely different. And and also, walking around the room, and John's introducing me to everybody that's playing, and and these guys have been with him, and women have been with him since, uh, you know, uh, since the original Imperial March. You know, and and it's like meeting these people uh, and asking questions that to me are just, just, that may sound completely silly to them, but it's just like things I need to know. Like, you know, when you play the Imperial March and, you know, you're, 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 um, the horns and you know, how are you positioning your hands and then you know <clears throat> Why do you feel like it's important to muffle the sound of the horn as you play it like all those little things? That I was just insanely curious about how do they handle the instruments? How do they create tension like because they all had their little quirks and things that they do? Um, to create different sounds and uh, it was fascinating.
0: Is this how you keep your curiosity alive by putting yourself in these different? situations that you're seeing it for the first time. It's like a, it's like you are a kid in that situation. Well, yeah, I mean that. That's honestly that was the reason why,
1: the main reason why I wanted to work with Glenn and John. It was just just like a personal thing. Like I just wanted to have an opportunity to work with them, and and uh, to learn from them, and see how they create. You know, it's it's always, it, like, it comes from that. I mean, th- these collaborations are really just based off of, off of learning.
0: Let's take a look at curiosity as it goes back in your life. Because uh, I'm kind of fascinated with curious people, mm-hmm. since I am one myself. <laughs> and I'm wondering, from the time, I, I guess you moved from United States to Italy mm-hmm. when you were six, mm-hmm. does that... Enhance your curiosity moving into a different culture. You got to learn a new language it
1: has to it has to because um, You know, you're, you're immersed in a new culture, right? A new language um, um, Everything's completely new geography you know, weather. I mean everything's new and so um, To learn you have to have some form of curiosity, right? Or you'll just be stuck you have to be curious to understand the language, the different types of foods. You know, you have to learn different routes and how to get to school and all sort of stuff. So, it just innately builds curiosity within you. I think.
0: I noticed when I started traveling, it was much later in life, and I didn't understand the language. I, I literally had to look beneath the language mm. to understand or be understood. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I always thought that was a real gift. To be able to look at somebody and kind of understand, oh, that person wants to rob me. Right. right. Or, that grandma, she'll, she, she take me home and offer me dinner. Right, right. yeah. Did, did you have a little of that from growing up? I, I realize your dad was playing basketball yeah. and your whole family is there.
1: Yeah, I would assume so. Because, you know, you when you don't understand the language, the um, thing that you have to take a temperature on is is, what, facial expression? body language, the energy of a person. And so I think it really helps you become, um, I think it elevates your emotional intelligence and being able to, to feel what it is people are saying or what they're bringing into a room. Um, so I think that's helped a lot.
0: Researchers say that 10% of communication is the actual words, mm-hmm. 30% the tone of your voice, Sixty percent the body language. Hmm. So here you are, six, seven. You're going into places where you can't understand <laughs> what they're saying. Right. You're reading their bodies. Right. How does that play out into basketball? Because you, you, you're basically making a living. Well, if you
1: think if you think about it, um, you know, basketball is, is a game in which you know, it's predicated off of movement and patterns of movement, right? Um, So you can watch film, you can study players, and you can see what they like to do in certain parts of the floor and certain parts of the game. Um, But beyond that, there's also a rhythm with which they play, and there's an energy with which they play. And so beyond just the intellectual understanding of what they do, you also must be able to feel what it is that they're doing and what it is they're coming into the game with. Right. So you can feel the momentum and the energy with which they're playing. You can sense whether or not they they want to be aggressive at this moment in time. You can sense if, you know, now they're getting ready to attack and go left. You can, you can, you can, you can feel those things. Yeah.
0: And is this coming through, like looking at tape, looking at them while they're playing? Is it coming through your ears on the way they dribble the ball? Well, how how is it coming in?
1: Yeah, so tactically, it comes from those things. So, like if you, you if you watch, you can watch any player play, and you can observe the rhythm with which they with which they play. You know the amount of dribbles that it takes for them to get a shot off, uh, the timing. You know if they're isolated uh, on the wing, you know how many seconds does it take for them to get going? Right. Um, those little things, those little beats of rhythm that they play with. Um, those are intellectual things, tactical things that you can pick up. But beyond that, it's also the energy with which they're playing. And if you can really be quiet, emotionally be quiet, um, you can pick up on those things and connect with those things. And then you can wind up getting in a zone uh, defensively where you're connected with them just as you get in a zone offensively. And because you can feel what it is that they're going to do. Um, it's it's weird. I mean, it sounds like some... You know Jedi, uh, you know Force type of thing, but it, it truly is.
0: And we should point out that you were all defensive player twelve times in your career <laughs> as well. Uh, but the, the amazing thing to me, every time we talk, this gets deeper and deeper and deeper, <laughs> because things you say about basketball translate exactly to what I'm trying to do in an interview, mm-hmm. where I want to be as quiet as I can and take in as much of your energy as, as possible. Mm-hmm. It, it really seems like a, a direct overlap. Well, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's good for life
1: as well, right? If, if we can set our own egos to the side, and simply observe and listen and and receive, um, then I think the world would be a much better place. I mean, but, but it's hard to do that, isn't it? Because I mean, we all have our own agendas, We all have goals, you know, things that we want to accomplish. A lot of times those things get in the way. And I remember talking to my teammates on our championship run, and uh, the energy of the team was just off. And I came in and I said, guys, from personal experience, I know, uh, and this is what's happening. Individually, we have goals that we want to set. You come into the game, Lamar, you come into the game and say, tonight I want to get 20 points and 12 rebounds. Right? Derek Fisher, you come into the game today and you want to have 15 points. And I come into the game and say, I want to score 35 today. Right. And we all have those individual things. And what happens is the game starts. And then for some of us, those things don't work out. I may start the first quarter with just one point. I might go into halftime with just five. Right. And because you're not accomplishing that individual goal, your energy now is low because you, you feel like you have failed accomplishing your task. And that energy sucks away from the team, right? And it's not a matter of being selfish or anything like that. It's like you had a goal and you felt like you failed yourself because you have not accomplished that. And then little by little, it erodes the energy of the team. I said, what we have to do is say, listen, we have individual goals. That's fine. But when the game starts, you let that go and you play and you let the game flow. You let the energy flow. And what happens, happens, right? Right. And uh, once we we're able to do that, then we we're able to turn things around.
0: The idea of being able to listen—how how does that move into a basketball game? Are you how much listening are you doing, and what oh, exactly are you listening to?
1: I'm listening to everything. You know, I'm listening to what's being said. Uh, I'm observing. You know, body language is a big thing as well. Um, not just the opposition but my teammates as well and what's going on what are the things that they're struggling with you know you got to be able to you know hear what they're saying but then understand the intent of what it is that they're saying on both sides you know the, the opposition as well um, and to do that you have to be able to kind of quiet your mind and process things And there's some games where I don't do that right so you have to measure like there's certain games where I say okay today tonight we need me to go into a completely single-minded approach and turn things around. Like, we you know, we got a center that got in. Andrew Bynum got injured in the game against Memphis. And we were trying to win a championship that year. And now all of a sudden, our key center goes down. You can feel the energy of the team just get deflated. And our next game was in New York. I said, now that is a game. I said, okay, I have to take this team and lead by example and say, okay, no. I understand he went down. But this is what we're going to do. And for that game, everything blacked out. I wasn't listening to anybody. I didn't care what the opposition was saying to each other. I didn't care what my teammates were saying. Everything was irrelevant. only thing that was relevant was just the quietness and the stillness within myself. And uh, that's
0: the game I wound up having,
1: you know, 61, in the garden.
0: Did that happen a lot, or was that a very rare occurrence? Well, it's
1: rare for the amount of times that I I would... I'd want to have it <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's
0: a uh, um if you scored uh, eighty, we know that you had it that night, or were you listening that night?
1: No, no, same same approach I mean, most of the big games that I've had, whether it's against Dallas and you know sixty two in Dallas or um you know a streak of you know forty point games and nine straight games or whatever it was or fifty and four straight games same same kind of approach
0: last three minutes of your last game, yeah, where you're just completely on fire, and yet you can tell. I mean, if you watch that on uh, YouTube, mm-hmm. you will see you're, you're breathing pretty hard. Yeah, yeah I was tired. <laughs> I was tired. I
1: was absolutely tired. Um, have you ever
0: been that tired in a basketball game before?
1: Uh, no, no, but I, but I have been that tired uh, out on the track and running, so it wasn't unfamiliar to me is I had pushed myself there before, which gave me the confidence to know that I could push myself through it again. You know, when you're dead tired on the track and I still have five more 200s to run, I don't know if I have the legs to run them anymore, just like that game, but I run them anyway. I know I can do it, right? I know that that energy is there to do it.
0: And it's so much, it seems like, goes back to places you are talking about process before, Mm. where if you run you make those runs in practice Mm -hmm. when you're in a game it's just it's gonna happen Mm -hmm. you told me a story when you're like four years old and i I, i'm always fascinated by this story i'm gonna ask you again because i never know when i hear a story a second or third time Mm -hmm. something new may come out Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's it really is to me the definition of fear and what happens when you confront it and how it can change your life. Mm-hmm. So you're four years old, you're doing karate. Mm-hmm. And you're a white belt. Yeah. You're called out on the mat. Pick up the story from there.
1: Well, I, I, we um, it was always just kind of a series of challenges, right? To advance, you know, to jump up in belts. And- you know it was uh
0: you're on the lowest rung now
1: i am i'm okay. just, just starting out but you know you know it's coming because you, you've seen the other belts go before you do it right where you have to break boards or you know things like that or and uh they thought i was particularly talented so they decided to you know and this one was combat uh go up against a brown belt and so what happens is all the kids kind of sit around in a <laughs> in a square and, uh, and you put the, the the gloves on. They're not boxing gloves. Or those shiny, gloves.
0: those shiny exactly. red karate That's gloves. Exactly right. That's, right. That's
1: exactly right. And you put them on on your feet as well. And uh, now, I, what's the reaction of everybody I, around? I don't even know because I was terrified. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't know what their reaction was or what they were saying. I was busy crying my eyes out. Like, I can't go against this brown belt. And he's gonna kill me. Literally kill me. And uh and uh you know, I the funny thing is, when I fought him, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. I mean, I got a couple couple licks in, made a couple defensive took a couple defensive stances. Um he won. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but, but but you it wasn't were as bad you were scared you
0: were scared to go out there.
1: I was. And
0: your I mom was.
1: Oh and my mom my mom said well, you better get out there. you <laughs> she, your Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, you better get out there. You better get out there. Um, but it was an eye-opening experience. I mean, I, I remember in the car going home and just thinking, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, so what was I so afraid of? And what I realized at that age was your imagination gets the best of you, and your imagination actually creates greater fear than any man or anything can. Because if you if you lose control of your imagination, you are allowed to think of all the worst things that could possibly happen. You, know, you wind up losing before you even start, and um, after that, I'll, I've never was, I never was afraid um, of a challenge ever again.
0: I mean, it's amazing to master fear at four years old.
1: Well, I don't know if I mastered it. I, I was just aware of it. Right. So so you know. After that, it would come back again, but I was aware of it, and I was aware of where my mind might wander. Um, you know, with imagination, I was aware. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's not controlling it, but it's being aware of it when it comes, and then accepting, you know, either accepting
0: it or letting it pass. But the choice is yours. See, so there's a moment. It's one of my favorite Kobe moments, and it's not a dunk. <laughs> it's not a three pointer. You are on the court, and Matt Barnes is taking the ball out of bounds. (laughs) And you are right in front of him. Yeah. And he takes the ball as if he's going to throw it right in your face, and he stops at the last minute. Yeah. And the beauty is, you don't flinch. Yeah. Now, unless this has happened many times to you before, when people were joking around, I, I don't know, right. but it 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 was shocking to me to see that that you could just <laughs> stand there. You, how do you know what he's going to do?
1: Well, I don't, but but I, I I knew it was a big game, um, and you know I, my reputation around the league was you, know, you don't want to you know, challenge me because I would respond to it in a way that was, you know. Um, that I've become more difficult to deal with as a defense, <laughs> you know what I mean. But it was a big game, and his role on the Orlando Magic was to defend me. So, just logically, I mean, th- there's there's no way he's going to hit me with this ball and get ejected.
0: So, you were able to like process this in yeah. tenths of a second, yeah, yeah, no way. He's no out way. of his mind and he's no. he's pissed off and he's no, just no, no, gonna no. throw the ball at me. No. No so way. He, in in tenths of a second you knew and then <laughs> yeah. and then you just basically stared him down. Yeah. Yeah. But then but that
1: you know, he knew at that point, he was like, Okay, he called my bluff. Right? I mean and we were yeah. kind of playing together years Did, after Would he, you
0: laugh at about that moment? You had a well, I, laugh I, 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 I kinda forgot song. about it.
1: I kind of forgot about it. He brought it up to me and say, listen, man, I gotta ask you, man, why the hell didn't you flinch? Now like I, I still can't it's like I still I still don't understand that. Like why didn't you flinch? I'm I'm thinking, okay, he's definitely gonna flinch. I'm gonna make him look ridiculous on national TV. And when you didn't flinch, I was like, oh man, this dude is this dude is stone cold, man.
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah, we, we had a we had a good
0: laugh about that as teammates. Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite, well, that's that's my favorite moment, <laughs> and and look, you know what? It goes back to body language, yeah. that intuition, like under, because yeah. this this is happening. I remember Coach K telling me once, when it gets to the end of the game, he's seeing the game in tenths of a second, mm-hmm. like the amount of time that it would take me if I had a basketball in my hands. Well, my arms aren't that long, but. <laughs> To to reach out and throw the ball right at your head, it, it's it's one tenth of a second. Right. So you're operating in like hundreds of a second. Saying, I no. guess so. I guess so. Another moment with the eyes, and uh, talk about body language. Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. eye contact. Tell yeah. the story. Tell us. Well, I I just love this story. Well,
1: I mean, it was my. Uh... It was my second year in the league, so this is 98, and um, I was playing a lot more minutes now, right? And so we're getting ready to face Chicago, and um, and so, I, you know, I get the package. You know, you, every team we play against, you get a, kind of a package of their plays and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, in practice, you know, we were on a second team. Myself, Derek Fisher, we're the second team. So it was our job to run the triangle against the first team. And I had studied to try and go over and over, so I was tearing these guys apart, you know, because I was playing the role of Michael, right? So I knew where he liked to operate and all such stuff. And and, uh, But I was really excited to have an opportunity to actually guard him, to like go up against him sort of thing. And then one of my teammates comes up to me and goes, hey, um, so you want some advice on how to deal with MJ? I'm saying, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, you've played against him before many times. He goes, whatever you do, don't look him in the eyes. I started. I started laughing. You know, I started laughing. I was, you know, I thought it was like a joke. You know what I mean? Like, okay, now here comes the real information. You know, and no, 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 he was serious. That was said, it. No, don't trust me. So you can do it if you want to, but you know, don't, don't wake him up. I was like, what? Okay, all right. I see how this is. So the first thing I did when I checked in the game with Michael. As I stood in front of him and I looked him directly in his face, <laughs> directly in his face, and he must—he must have looked at me like, "What is wrong with this weirdo? This kid? What the hell is he doing?" And I looked over at the bench and I said, "I'm still here." <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is four, goes back to four years old.
1: Yeah, it's listen. you not not—I'm not intimidated or afraid of anybody. And the, the funny thing about it is, I, Mike, and I had dinner. Um, a few years ago, talking about this exact thing, and he remembered. <laughs> he remembered that play. He remembered thinking, "What is? This? What?" He said, "I was trying to think, like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing?" But then I explained to him the story. He was like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I knew that guy was scared of me." <laughs>
0: oh man, <laughs> so I, knew, I knew he was scared of me. How how much fear can you read on a basketball court? Oh, instantly, man, instantly you can tell guys
1: that don't want to deal with you. Instantly, instantly, and you, you go right. You go right after them. Go right after them.
0: It, it, is this body language? Like, well, how do you yeah, see that? It's, it's, uh, I mean, literally, they're coming onto the court. Right. Or do you need a couple of possessions to? No, no,
1: no. It's the same. It's like it's no different than
0: than boxers
1: when they step into a ring. You know, you square off. And...
0: You know it's what? In boxing, I can see it in the weigh-in. Right. You can see. The guy shows up, you look at his face. Uh oh. Same thing in basketball. Same thing. If you hadn't had that moment at four years old, I mean, maybe it would have happened later on. Yeah. But do you you think you might have been a little different or did that um, set you up? Well,
1: I mean, it would have happened eventually just because I was, you know, the curiosity thing, right? It wasn't enough for me to just say, okay, I was scared. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That's not good enough for me. I had to ask the question of why was I afraid in the first place, right? And that enables me to then go, well, was I afraid of him? No, because I never fought him before. So what is there to be afraid of? His belt? Yeah, maybe. Well, the imagination of what that belt could do to me, thinking of all the things that could potentially happen, of how I could get hurt or embarrassed or whatever the case may be, that is where the fear came from. Right. So it's asking a question of where does the fear come from?
0: How much time do you spend
1: talking to yourself? These things happen quickly. Like you sit there and you like you know, I can think of it really quickly, like where did it come from? I was thinking about
0: oh, I imagine all right.
1: Well that won't happen again. It right, happens happens really quickly.
0: <laughs> so it's almost it almost seems like the questions just get compressed into okay I, I was there and now i'm here yeah i mean it seems logical to me
1: you know what i mean it just seems like you know uh, what were you afraid of well i was afraid of that okay well, why are you afraid of that well because of this all right then don't do that all right cool done
0: <laughs> you <Yep. laughs> oh, like it's, it's
1: just it's just like a you know it's, it's just to me it just seems like a logical line of questioning
0: what happens i know after you lost in boston in a wait. I think as you were walking off the court, mm-hmm. the journey song, Don't Stop Believing oh, was playing. Yeah. It
1: was playing like the last two minutes of the game and the whole um the whole arena was singing this damn song. It was driving me crazy.
0: And so th- this thing is like piercing your armor. Oh, it's yeah. a, it's they got deep inside you.
1: Yeah.
0: And your response is to play this song every day for the next two years well yeah well i had to remember it
1: helped me remember what it felt like you know it helped me remember to be there and to, to know what it felt like to have a dream ripped away from you by somebody else right and it was like okay this shit's never happening to me again it's not we're not going to go through this anymore you know the celebration that they're having at our expense is not going to happen because I, I remember standing there and looking around and seeing all these fans singing and chanting and all the Boston players completely ecstatic about you know this championship or whatever, and us just being miserable. And then thinking back of, okay, what is my family thinking watching this game right now? How devastated are they back home? How about the families of my teammates? What about the city of Los Angeles? How are they feeling right now? This is my responsibility.
0: This is not gonna happen again. Oh, man. You know, this. this gets to a question that I was thinking about on the night your jerseys were retired And I'm watching, and I kept, as the game was going, I kept hoping they would come back to you because you're sitting with Vanessa, your wife, your three daughters, youngest baby, Mm -hmm. Bianca, like in your lap. And, And then you get up to speak, and your talk ends with a message for your kids. Yeah. And I'm thinking... Wow. All the time I wanted, I just kept waiting to see more of Kobe with his family. And then I listened to like the eruption of the crowd. And I thought to myself, man, his family is a lot bigger than I thought it was. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Do you feel connected with everybody in an arena like that, at that moment,
1: yeah, I mean that's, that's the you know that's the thing that's that's the energy, right? That you feed off of. At least I can kind of tap into. You know, it's like vibrations that you can pick up on little frequencies that you can pick on pick up on from people that can that can propel you forward and you know help you jump higher and move faster and shoot more
0: accurately. Oh, um, well, absolutely, yeah. I remember the musician Tom York telling me he's in the middle of a concert, and the crowd's going nuts. They're playing their asses off, and he said he could actually see the walls bending Mm -hmm. around him. Mm -hmm. Did you Did you ever have like a similar experience? Well, yeah.
1: I mean, I I I could see players literally moving in slow motion. I could tell them what move they're about to make before they make it themselves. You know, there's always the, the, the feeling that the basket feels massive, but I've also had the feeling that the ball feels extremely small. And it's like, you know, throwing a pebble into a hula hoop, you know. Um, all those sensations. Um, and you know, many other ones as well. I mean, you just, are things that I've felt when I've played.
0: How much of this also goes back to childhood? Because I know there there was a moment where you're riding down the street on a bicycle
1: oh, and you're yeah. you're throwing <laughs> rocks at
0: telephone poles. Yeah, is that does that approximate like shooting while you're on the move? There's a uh, that uh,
1: directly equates to a win. Um, in the NBA versus the Miami Heat in 2009 at home. Uh, what happened? We're down two and uh, a couple seconds left, and I catch the ball, inbound the ball at half court, and I catch it, Dwayne Wade's on me, and I go left. There's a double team coming. And then, I, you know, I, I just kind of shoot a runner, which is I step with my right, step with my left, and then I jump off of my left off of one leg, but I'm kind of I'm going sideways. You know, because the defensive pressure, Dwayne is really good about sitting on my right arm as I shoot. So I kind of had to, you know, jump to the side away from him. But as I'm jumping to the side away from him, I immediately recall, it was it's not like a thought, but I, I feel like it's the same thing of me being on my BMX bike and riding past a telephone pole and throwing a rock and trying to hit the pole. Because if you're riding on the bike, you're riding fast. You throw it at the pole, you're going to miss the pole. Right? But your momentum is carrying forward, you gotta throw it back a little bit. You gotta throw it backwards, and then it hits the pole. Right? So that shot, even though I'm, I'm falling to the left, I shoot it back a little bit. Just like I was on a bike. Oh, and, and, man. And, and, and you know, it banked in, it went in, and we won. But you know, but I knew how to shoot that shot from
0: Riding on the bike. As a little kid, throwing rocks at telephone poles on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, there's a story, it, 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 it's fascinating. It's a story about Muhammad Ali when he was a kid. He would have his brother Rudy, his younger brother, go out in the street with him, and he would ask Rudy to pick up rocks and throw it at his head. And Rudy would pick up the rocks and throw it. It was then Cassius Clay. And he Muhammad would be standing there as the rock is coming right at his face, waiting, waiting, waiting. Just as it's about to hit his nose, mm. he leans back, lets it whiz by, and it's the exact style in the ring. Mm-hmm. Danced like no heavyweight had ever danced before. Couldn't get close to him. If you didn't, through a left hook. He just leaned back and he hit you like twenty times faster than mm-hmm. you could shine a, sh- shine a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how so much of this
1: <laughs> traces
0: back to childhood. Oh,
1: it all does. It all does. The foundation.
0: Okay, let's move it forward to the crowd and the noise and everything you must have felt when they retired your jersey. What was going on in your head? Seeing like two jerseys are being retired. Um, No,
1: I mean, I I was really just thankful to be back there. I hadn't been back since our last uh, game. So I was really thankful to be there and uh, to have my family there. Uh, to have all my, my extended family there and to see faces in a crowd that I've seen since you know, my rookie year. Because a lot of the people in the crowd, you know, uh, some of the kids were babies. Like, there were kids coming to the game two years old, three years old that are now grown ups. 20 years with the Lakers. Right. yeah, Right. So I've, I've, I've literally seen families grow up and grow. You know, because all those seats, those courtside seats and seats around, I mean, those are lifelong ticket holders, right? And so... Those seats don't change, or they're in the same place all the time. Uh, Andy Garcia and his daughter—I mean, they're there at every single game, and I've watched her grow up. And you know, um, it's—it's it's just you know, so I was really excited just to be there. It wasn't to me; it wasn't about the jerseys. It was more so about um, how much we ha- all have grown, and uh, getting a chance to be back there, and 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 uh, and saying thank you to them and to my former teammates and competitors um for you know for a good 20 years was was um was fun
0: it seemed much more the way you're talking about it seems much more level than the moment that John Williams heard the music <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you heard the music played yeah, for the yeah. first time
1: yeah it's you know it, it's different because you know, as a kid i had dreams of being here you know, like you see things in your mind so many times um, um, that you've, you've been there before. Like, I, I, it was always my dream to have my jersey retired by the Lakers. Uh, never imagined it be two, but it was my dream to be a part of that hall, you know? And uh, But I never, ever thought I'd, I'd write something that Glenn and John felt was strong enough for them to lend their talents to. And to actually work with them, or to be shortlisted for an Oscar—like I, those are—that is beyond the realms of dreams for me. I, I've never imagined that. So it is extremely <laughs> exciting and completely new to me this whole thing. So,
0: okay, so here's the twenty years, where eighty games in a season, eighty-two games in a season plus exhibition, plus you're always in the playoffs. Yeah, It's more than 100 games a year. Like roughly one out of every three days, you had 20,000 people cheering into your ears.
1: Yeah, which explains why I can't really hear much of anything now.
0: <laughs> Is that true?
1: <laughs> that's what Vanessa says. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when she's so,
0: telling you to, to, to right, do right. things around we'll, the house. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just stick to that. man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but here's the thing: you've got every third day in, of your life for the last 20 years. Yeah. You've had 20,000 people cheering in your ears. Yeah. What is it like when that stops? Now, I imagine. Look, you go on Jimmy Fallon's show, or you you have your jerseys retired. You're going to hear the crowd applause, right. but it's 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 got to be a little different now. Um, or is it? I,
1: I, I, no, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never played for that. I know a lot of players miss it, and that's fine. I mean, you know, we're all motivated by different things. I, I was never motivated by that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't miss it in the, in the, in the slightest. Uh, I don't mean to.
0: Um. Well, I found it almost—I found it almost hard to believe because I met you right after your last game, right? And we're sitting down, and I'm—I'm I'm expecting to meet a guy who's just retired and maybe is starting to think about where this is all going to go. Right. That was not the case. You. you <laughs> You were ready to go. <laughs> yeah. And it was almost as if, you know, this had been planned from an early age. Yeah. Even going back to when you were in high school and you had a great English teacher mm-hmm. who basically set you off on an assignment that directly correlates to where you are now. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We we had to tell a story to a bunch of kindergartners. And uh it was um, speaking arts. And I forgot to do the assignment because, yeah, you know, AAU basketball is picking up. So we're traveling around a lot. And, and uh, I think we had a tournament in Boston College, I think it was. And we came back and I forgot to do the assignment. And I couldn't let her know that. So I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem.
0: So you've got to invent a story now. Yeah,
1: so as we're walking down the kindergarten uh, class because it was connected to our high school. I had to think of something. I'm like, "What the hell am I gonna, what am I gonna do?" And of course, she knows, and so I'm the first one she calls. <laughs> so now I got to go first with a bunch yeah. of kindergartners in a cold room, right? And with kindergartners, something that I did not—had
0: <laughs> you ever had to do anything like no, this before? No, <laughs> no,
1: no, 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 nothing remotely close to it. Um, and so all I did was just think of things that were natural to me, which was. Picking up after myself in my room and my mom always being on me about that sort of stuff because my room was always basketball shorts here, t-shirt here, you know, stuff, you know. because oh, so it's just a clutter
0: and a mess? Yeah, because
1: I'm, I'm, I'm always playing. I'm always running. I'm always, you know, so it's just a mess all the time.
0: And so how does that translate into a story? Well,
1: when, you know, you know it's time to clean the room and your mother wants to see you clean the room, what is, what is the natural place for you hide all your clothes? Under the Under bed. Under the bed, <laughs> right? Under the bed. So... That's the story I came up with. What um, happens? Well, what happens is that these um, dirty clothes that are now stashed under the bed uh, turn into these uh, horrible monsters <laughs> that drag a kid from his bed um, you know, to the depths of Tartarus. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's doom and gloom with these dirty clothes transforming into monsters and beasts and... Um, and uh, the kids had to go into this underworld and figure out how to clean this underworld oh, no. uh, in order to save this underworld from doom and gloom. And uh, what did
0: the eyes look like on these kids hearing this story?
1: They were they were they were terrified actually because you know because I like I'm selling it like this is really happening like this will happen to you. This is a cautionary tale. And and. What happened is my um, my teacher, Ms. Marciana, got a lot of mail from parents. And uh, she called me into her class. and I was like, oh. I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, the mail, the letters were, were, I don't know what happened at school. But my kid's room has never been cleaner. And they keep saying that they are worried that the monsters are going to pull them underneath the bed. <laughs> And dra- so I don't know what happened, what story was told, but thank you.
0: <laughs>
1: and, and and that was the beginning for me in storytelling.
0: Okay, <laughs>
1: that's beautiful. So let's just move it forward. She, by the way, she sent me the tape. I saw her. I saw her um, uh, my last season when we played a game in Brooklyn. She drove up and we had breakfast together. And she found a VHS because she recorded the performances because it was important for her. And us to watch and figure out how to articulate, how to enunciate, um, you know, when we speak. And so she actually gave me the VHS tape of 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 that story. When
0: you're watching it, what was going through you? I haven't watched it yet. Yeah,
1: I gotta find a VHS player.
0: (laughs) Oh, good point. Good point. I haven't
1: haven't gotten around to it, but you know, but uh,
0: one of these days I will. Well, you can see how much. Of these experiences from your childhood shaped who you became. They all do,
1: we, you know. Which is really important, you know. When we're talking about teachers and coaches, it is really important for for us as adults and mentors to pay attention to what we say to kids and how we coach them and how we teach them. is extremely important because the things that we just seem that, that are just offhanded. Remarks, off-the-cuff remarks, will sit with these kids, right? And so it's it's uh, something that we all should be mindful of.
0: So here's a question for you: You've you've hired some people. Mm-hmm. Do you have a a go-to question or a go-to look of body language to in order to hire the right person?
1: Um, yeah, my go-to question is always a question. That's followed by another question, right? That's the way I interview. That's it. I mean, you just, you just, you know, you want to learn. You want to hear. um, It's the fifth
0: question that's going to get what you want to hear, or the sixth question. But you want to see how they think, right? Are they curious people?
1: I mean, in in, in everything that we do, I think we should be looking for curious minds, particularly in storytelling. You want curious minds. You know, it's not, you don't want to hire people that, that know how to solve problems, you want people that want to that want to uh, look for unsolvable problems and figure out ways to solve those problems because they don't know how to. Right? Those are the kind of people we look for here.
0: How when you do, when you do a job interview, how do the candidates take it? They're coming in to be interviewed by Kobe.
1: Well, I mean, I, I've most of the job interviews that I've done, I'm pretty much done with now. You know, because it's it's really the top brass that we have here, um, but we have really talented people. I mean, our development team, extremely talented, and they understand the culture and how we do things. And you know, I really leave it to them to find people that are just as curious about the world and about the process
0: as, as we are. So really, curious. So much of this is just centering right back on curiosity. Oh, of course,
1: of course. It's not what you know. I don't care about what you know. It's about um, what you don't know and you being curious about what it is that you don't know.
0: What are you curious about now?
1: That. <laughs> that, right? And, and um, you know, you get into... Building a company, you understand it's really about the people that you bring in and how do you put them in the best possible situations to be successful. And, you know, like um, structuring this company, like now the ball is about to start rolling here pretty quickly for the things that we have coming out. You know, Dear Basketball, um, followed by our um, um, our ESPN announcement that will be coming. And then shortly thereafter, it will be a children's podcast series that's coming, you know, followed by the first novel that comes you know, a few months later, the second novel. And so from, you know, pretty quickly, it, it's going to be rolling on things that, you know, we've been developing here for the last two years. Um, but when I sat down to originally write the kind of the, 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 the core of this company, what the story is, this world, that took a lot of writing, it took a lot of creativity, because that had to be the thing that onboarded people, right? But now that that runway is created, now it's seen the writers are in and we're all writing from the same place, same universe, same world. Um, um, My job now becomes making sure I'm responsible enough to get these ideas and stories to market in a responsible way. Right? So that we don't, I don't let the business side of things, the operation side of things take away from the amount of creativity and the work that's going into that creativity.
0: How much of this overlaps with the way that you play basketball is are you running this company as if you were the GM of the Lakers or the coach of the Lakers or no I mean the, I, you know,
1: the way it, my, my vision for this company is probably different than, than most content companies um, you know it's 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 um, I'm looking at you know we'll have different um, different IP, we'll have different things, but it all leads to the mothership. It's all one company. And so when I'm bringing people on board and you're responsible for certain projects, um, yes, you're responsible for this particular IP, but your participation is at the top level of Granity Studios. We're all moving in one direction I refuse to, to divide the company out and have a marketing department for this particular IP and financial department for this particular IP. I refuse to do that. I think you need to have one focus. You need to have one ship that is going in one direction at all times.
0: You know, it, it's very interesting because so many companies, as they grow, they get territorial.
1: Mm-hmm. And then they have conflicting aims. Right. And No, I refuse he- to do that. I refuse to do that. And, I, you know, I, I was... Getting advice from from some business people um, and friends and things of that nature, they all say the same thing. It's, it's more responsible to kind of divvy it up. You know, it's easier to to manage. You have smaller teams here and there that are operating. I'm just vehemently against it. And um, um, I didn't know if I was crazy or what. And so, you know, one of the people that I called was Tim Cook. And I asked Tim Cook what he thought. You know, what did you think about this and he said listen this is how we run apple we run apple the same way and you know we, we get a lot of pushback about how we do things and this and the other um, but we believe that this is the the one true way to have a focused company that behaves as one as one entity as one family so he would say you know he said listen I, it's not it's not that i'm saying what you're doing is the right thing i'm telling you that what you're doing it's not only the right thing, but I am vehemently opposed to the other way oh, <laughs> of doing <wow>. things. <laughs> so, you know, it's my responsibility to try to, you know, and we're still so early it's that, that those conversations are premature that even have for us. But it's, but I think it's important for me to start thinking that way now just to see where it is that we go. Because, you know, you don't want to hopefully, you know, these things catch on and they take off and they're successful. I don't want to be behind the eight ball of chasing what it is that we should be. I think it's important to start understanding the direction in which you want to go now.
0: How much time do you spend, and I'm thinking about driving down my street in my car, phone rings. Mm-hmm. No caller ID. I pick it up. Callous Kobe I'm <laughs> saying, I don't know that many Kobe's in the world. But it's obviously your voice. Yeah. How much time do you spend just curiously calling people up when you want to know something?
1: Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll call instantly. I mean, it's you know, if, if I have a question about something, I'll, I'll just I'll ask, you know. And um, um, yeah, I mean, it happens it happens every now and then. I mean, you know, Oprah was another Oprah. Was, when I was originally thinking about setting up this company, I reached out to Oprah, and she spent about an hour and a half on the phone with me. And just walk me through, you know, how Harpo was structured, you know, um, how she built her business from day one all the way up until now. And she said, when I was coming up, I had great mentors and Sydney Portier and so forth um, that showed me the ropes. And I believe it's my responsibility to do the same thing for the next generation. So if you have any questions whatsoever, just pick up the phone and give me a call. Right, and it's that kind of selflessness of passing that information forward, passing that knowledge forward, um, that's extremely important for us to have. Um, so, but yeah, I'll pick up the phone and, and and call and ask.
0: Well, it's and again, back to youth, when you're just starting in the NBA, Michael Jackson calls you yeah. out of nowhere, yeah, and becomes your mentor. Yeah, and it, it seems like a lot of your business now. Is really about teaching and mentoring a whole generation of people. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's taking knowledge and information that we have learned, wisdom that we have gathered, and 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 seeding that within our stories, so that things are digested and processed in an entertaining way. I mean, you, know, I mean, you have kids; it's like you know, it's hard to tell your kid you know, to to be motivated or how to deal with anxiety or or pressure or peer pressure you know they'll hear you right but if 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 you can see it in content or if you can read it now it becomes your own and it's something entirely different right right and as parents now we can reinforce that but when a, a kid can when you when you trust a piece of content either on TV or in the books as a parent that you know these, this is good stuff for your kid to read because they're going to learn the difficult stuff that most people tend to shy away from. Um, it makes our job as parenting a lot easier. And for my children, it's awesome because, you know, they don't have to, don't my have voice to be doesn't become white to. noise. Yeah, you know what yeah. I
0: mean? They're not being preached right. to. You're giving it to them in a story where they're stepping in a character's shoes.
1: Yeah, and it's wondrous, it's magical, and it's all these fun things
0: that that, that story should be. All right, last question. met a woman yesterday and she was telling me about a party she was throwing. And the idea behind this party is everybody shows up who they will be in five years. So when you walk in the door and somebody asks who you are, you describe yourself five years from now. If you showed up at that party, who will you be in five years?
1: just another curious person that's it
0: that's beautiful you are who you always been
1: yeah man yeah it's another person asking questions
0: well when you first called i thought this is going to be wild <laughs> because kobe is the like, ultimate winner <laughs> and Like, as an interviewer, I don't have that competitive side to me. Uh, Like, winning to me is sitting down with you and having a conversation, getting you to feel comfortable, open up. Maybe you think of something that you hadn't thought of before, and you leave thinking, wow, I'm I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, but. I'm not beating anybody down the way <laughs> when you drain that three pointer. So I said to myself, I wonder how this is going to go. Yeah. And in the end, I find this amazing overlap in curiosity yeah. being like the center point of my life and the center point in yours. Yeah. Isn't that and funny? You always teach me something wherever we meet. Oh. <laughs> well,
1: you know, I, I, when we sit down and talk, it's always. You know, you have a way of pulling things out that I've forgotten and uh, or, you know, helping me think of something that, oh, yeah, I guess that is where that comes from. Right. And, and, I, and I think that's a that's a wonderful trait to have. I mean, if, if we could all kind of do that and challenge each other in that way, you know, to help understand certain things about ourselves and you know, a larger perspective of the world as a whole, I mean, that's. Certainly, if we can do that in our stories, I mean, that's the magic, where the story doesn't just live on the page, but it helps the person that's reading the story or viewing the story uh, interpret their own life in a different kind of way. Uh, then that's the magic.
0: I feel like we're teammates, brother. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Thank you so much. Thank that's you. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Kobe. With that, I want to send my best wishes to Vanessa and the children. As lonely as it may feel, you're definitely not alone. You have the support of millions. And also want to pass on my condolences to all of the families affected by the crash. I want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast so that I can bring this conversation with Kobe to you. And I want to thank my sponsor, Sportique, for getting behind this as well. And that means sending a hug to Matt Altman, whose father recently passed away. Doesn't matter how old they are or you are when it happens. The pain you feel inside always correlates to the love that was put in. I wish all of you good things to come. And I hope that you can get the best out of each and every moment. Thanks. See you next week.